In case you don't remember what happened the last time we played, way back in March, uh, we fought some demons, captured some silkworms, got paid, killed some more demons, and took a break. That's really all the important stuff you need to know. So, last time we played, we ended up underground in the city of Capbrook, in the sewers, in tunnels, because that's apparently the only place to find any anything worth killing in the city. So we finished killing some demons that left Cecil f flinging his sword around in the air to everybody else's annoyance, but it's what happens when you have a, uh, oh, what do you call them? Relig religious nut job is too, too strong, but uh, devout, yes. A devout paladin uh, and that has hooked up with a group of Let's just say the script doesn't have the strongest moral compass outside of the paladin. Anyway, they've killed some monsters. They took an hour to rest just to just relax and charge up a few things. And they continue forward with Merrick the Rogue taking lead. <coughs> Excuse me on that. Fortunately, he's a, he's a pretty talented guy when it comes to reading the map and getting an idea of where they're at. So he knew, he figured out where they were at and decided to lead them further into the tunnels deeper in under the political center hub of the city, reasoning that that would be where the demonic stronghold would probably be at. So after traveling for an hour or so, they don't run into much. Uh, they start to surmise that the demons they encountered were probably just uh, scouting parties or maybe just bored demons. You never know with them. Merrick starts to hear some gibberish ahead of him. Unfortunately, he doesn't recognize the language, uh, demonic or fiendish or whatever language demons speak, not not his wheelhouse. But he is sharp enough to recognize that some of the sounds are very similar to the first batch of demons that they fought by the silkworms uh, before. He can make out that there's at least a couple of those creatures, as well as a couple more feminine voices in there. He, he kind of guesses there's maybe five to seven of them, maybe. He decides to, uh, to inch his way up, try to get a closer look, but as he gets about 40, 50 feet away from them, the conversation stops completely. You know, he kind of gets this, oh, crap, I'm screwed look on his face. Unfortunately, his dark vision helps notice him that there's three barbed demons and three succubi all coming at him at once, and they're not slow. Uh, <laughs> he, as soon as he makes out that he's outnumbered six to one, he hightails it right back to the party, you know, you know, uh, Speedy Gonzales style, and t basically tells them that they're all screwed. Fortunately, Cecil, the good paladin, the the optimist, the true believer in their cause, even though their cause is killing things and making money, you know, he tells them to buck up, take courage, and starts to inspire the party with a rousing speech. He doesn't really have a whole lot of time because demons are coming quickly, so it's not that much of a speech, and everybody else just kind of rolls their eyes at him and humors him because he's a paladin and he opens a few doors for them that they wouldn't be able to get into otherwise. So demons show up and Cecil being the noble one, you know, runs out in front, you know, casting sacred weapon on his great sword to make it glow and improve his attack rolls. And he also does shield of faith on himself to make himself harder to fight, to, to hit. And unfortunately that uses all of his actions so he can't go anywhere. And Kel Idon. Uh, not taking the hint, 
tells Cecil to hurry up and rushes ahead and swings his warhammer wildly at one of the barbed demons. Sadly, despite Cal's enthusiasm, he misses completely on this on this account. <laughs> uh, he does manage to strike one of them with a little tiny baby bolt of lightning, though. So it does a little bit of damage. Merrick, you know, being uh, encouraged by two really big buff guys coming to his rescue, uh, tries to do some sneak attacks on the barb demon, but completely misses. This fight is not off to a good start. Uh, Ty decides to pitch in by casting Polymorph on Gash and Merrick, and he turns them to giant apes. And then he exercises the better part of Valor and hightails it back to the back of a tunnel to get away from everyone. Gash, now a giant ape, uh, rips a stone from the tunnel wall and chucks it at one of the succubi, which squishes it completely. <laughs> uh, Moonstar casts Tidal Wave on the demons, and you know, taking three of them down and you know, knocking them prone. And then, as soon as that's done, Moonstar then hightails it back and, jo and joins Ty at the back of the tunnel there. Because, you know, what else would you do when you have a bunch of meat shields out in front of you? <laughs> at this point, uh, a succubus casts Charmed, Charm on a uh, Calidon and Cecil. But fortunately, Cecil, being a paladin and noble and great of heart and maybe a tad on the self-righteous side, is completely completely immune to that kind of stuff. Cal, however, is not. So he gets charmed. <laughs> uh, some of the barb demons get getting up on Merrick the giant ape. Hurt him a bit, but, you know, he's a giant ape, so he can take the damage. Uh, Cecil does some slashing, does some damage, but doesn't kill any of the demons. Cal decides to go after Gash. Gash the giant ape, in case you forgot. And hits, hit, hits him uh, with lightning as well. Uh, Merrick, as a giant ape, just, well, goes ape on the demons in front of him. You know, just punching him with its fists. Uh, way back at the far end of the tunnel there, uh, Ty casts Chill Touch on one of the, one of the, on the succubus, but misses. Proves he can't always believe in those cantrips. Uh, Gesh the giant ape, he decides to pick up Cal... <laughs> And throws him at the closest barb demon, you know, because what else do you do with someone that's uh, that's hurting you? You pick him up and use him as a weapon. Gesh lets out a uh, a giant roar of victory, and sadly the uh, the damage does not break the charm spell on Cal. He is still very much under that succubus's influence, and will keep on attacking the party. Moonstar does something really helpful, though, and he casts Fairy Fire on all the demons and manages to hit, you know, to make them more visible, easier to hit, uh, manages to catch one of the barbed demons, a couple of the succubi, and Cal. So they're glowing now. Uh, the demons come back, you know, they rough up Merrick a bit. Uh, one of them tries hitting Cecil, but Cecil, being well-armored and morally superior, doesn't, you know, the demon doesn't land a single uh, single claw on him. Uh, the two succubi stand up and try to attack Cecil as well, but again, moral superiority. He's got the high ground. No dice for them. Uh, he counterattacks with Divine Smite on one of them, really, really hurting that succubus. Uh, the Charmed Cal decides to go back after Gesh the Giant Ape again. <laughs> but, you know, taking out a giant ape doesn't get him very far. 
And the other giant ape, Merrick, hurts some more demons in front of him with his fist, but, you know, these are barbed demons. Physical attacks by themselves don't do nearly as much damage as they should. Uh, Ty casts, from the back there, casts Scorching Ray one of the, at the succubus that that Cecil uh, did his divine smite on, or smote divinely? Yeah, let's go with that. And uh, basically nuking her to a screaming death. Sadly, this was not the succubus that they were looking for, and Cal is still under the effects of the charm spell. Uh, Gesh, for whatever reason, I, you know, the giant ape, his ape, tiny little ape brain, doesn't decide to pull a repeat and pick up Cal again. Instead, he rips out another stone from the tunnel and chucks at one of the barbed demons. And, you know, the demon definitely feels it, but it, it you know, doesn't take it out like it did with the one shot on the succubus earlier. Uh, Moonstar tries shooting a magic missile at Cal to snap him out of the charm spell, but Cal just really sucks at... He, he, he loves being charmed. Let's put it that way. He loves being charmed. He loves it when people just boss him around and don't, don't leave him any free will. So when that doesn't work out, uh, Moonstar uses healing word on Merrick the Giant Ape, patches him up a little bit since he's been getting wailed on by those barbed demons for a couple rounds now. And then... Uh, then he decides to hide behind Ty. <laughs> I don't know why a, a grown grown man is hiding behind a 14-year-old boy, but yeah, whatever. Uh, what happens now? Uh, the suck, you know, the last succubus that's still standing manages to get a scratch on Cecil, but you know, it's a scratch, nothing else. Uh, the other barb demons they gang up, gang up on Merrick the giant ape again. And unfortunately, the, they do enough damage to overwhelm the polymorph spell, and they revert him back to being just a normal rogue. You know, so he's not taking up 15 feet, 15 feet of the 20-foot wide tunnel that they're in here. Uh, Cecil goes after the succubus, hurts her with his swords, doesn't kill her. Uh, Cal attacks Gesha Giant Ape once again, drawing some blood, actual blood this time with his Warhammer, so, you know, Warhammer does good. And then he... Uh, Rinse behind the giant ape. Oh, no, sorry. I got that mixed up. Merrick uh, picks, draws one of his daggers, chucks at the succubus, really hurting her, and then it's Merrick that runs behind the giant ape, you know, putting Gash the, you know, completely in danger from all the other demons. Uh, Ty from the back, he uses a chill touch cantrip on the succubus, kills her, so all the succubi, succubi? Succubuses. Succubi. We'll go with that. All the succubi are dead now. Uh, and uh, Cal, at this point, wakes up from uh, from the char- effects of the charm spell. And he's very confused over what's happened over the last 15 seconds or so. <laughs> uh, Gesha Giant Apes screams, hoo, hoo, and runs up to the barbed demons and just wailing on it with his fist. Uh, the demon's really hurting at this point. And in victory, Gesh turns and spits on Caladon and just... Covers the guy's, you know, the the poor guy's face. A Moonstar casts Blight on on the on one of the barb demons, but doesn't do as much damage. And then Moonstar also does some healing word on Cal, since you know he's been getting beat up a bit too here. So the the barb demons at this point, they're not really happy. They obviously know that they're not going to last very long, much longer here. So one of them throws himself at Caladon, which he obviously knows is no longer charmed, and with his blade. Succeeds in nicking his nipple. Cal, you know, he lets out a great call. You know, he's very, very wounded. 
feeling this very difficult, you know, this great time of misery and difficulty. Uh, Geshe Giant Ape I mean, also gets hit by one of the demons. And the, the one prone barbed, uh, barbed demon that, for whatever reason, has not bothered getting up at this point in the fight, manages to hit, hit Cecil. It's only the second time the Paladin's been hit this, this whole battle. Yeah. Uh, so Cecil, you know, runs around, flanks to the demons, and he slashes down the the prone demon, uh, bringing him to death's door, but not quite all the way there. Can't quite seal the deal. He probably just doesn't have much practice. Uh, Cal, at this point, he starts wiping off uh, the giant ape saliva that Gesh spit on him, and he says, I have been blessed by Heronius. And believe it or not, that actually gets an amen from Cecil. You know, Maybe Cecil's really hoping that some of his compatriots will uh, will find religion. And so Cal attacks a barb demon in front of him and spectacularly misses each time with his warhammer. Merrick moves up behind Gesh, chucks a dagger at the demon that's been attacking Cal, hurting it a bit. Uh, at this point, Ty, again, still at the very back of the tunnel there, casts Chill Touch on the prone demon that Cecil couldn't quite kill. And misses. So again, those cantrips. Can't always trust him. Gesh, again, still a giant ape, picks up the prone demon and tries hitting one of the other demons, but misses. Despite being a massive giant ape in a small tunnel. Moonstar shoots three of his magic missiles at the captive demon, the one that Gesh, the giant ape, is holding, and that kills him. And it disappears into the ether. You know, and then he casts a healing word on Cal to shore him up a bit. <clears throat> so at this point, there's two barbed demons left. Cal gets hit by the one that's been threatening him with its tail. Cecil gets hit by a claw. Uh, Cecil, you know, responds the best way he knows how by hacking into one of the demons with his great sword, you know, hurting it again but not killing it. Cal flies into a rage. He attacks the demon in front of him, hurts him good. Mary goes after the other demon. That the same demon knifing him a bit. Uh, Ty manages to hit one of them with chill touch. Gesh, the giant ape, he's kind of confused. He, he, he like he had a demon club there for a second, but disappeared. So he gets really pissy about it. So he takes his anger out on the glowing demon in front of him with his fist. Again, really, really hurting it. While Moonstar casts frostbite on the other demon, again hurting it some more, but not killing him. Uh, the demons fight back again. Cal gets hit, so does Cecil. Uh, Cecil, then suddenly realizing that his uh, that sacred weapon makes his sword magical, making it much more effective against barbed demons, greatly wounds uh, uh, the barbed demon because apparently he had to remember that his sword was now magical for it to be effective. Yeah, uh, Cecil's not the sharpest tool in the shed anyway. Uh, Cal, you know, attacks the demon in front of him again with his warhammer, hurts him. Merrick tries knifing the, de the demon to finish it off, but uh, misses. Yeah. Uh, Ty uses chill touch on that demon. Actually connects, but does not kill him, sadly. And then that leaves it to Gesh the giant ape. Decides to smash the extra critically wounded, you know, glowing barbed demon in front of him. Smushes him into the ground, but good then turns to the other extra wounded demon and smashes it as well. And, you know, once their screams have died out, the sewers become silent again. And at this point, the kill count is 
Moonstar managed to kill one of the barbed demons. Ty killed two of the succubi. And Gesh the giant ape, not Gesh the dragonborn, the giant ape, killed one succubus and two barbed demons. Now at this point, the party's pretty exhausted. You know, they've used up most of their spells. Uh, you know, they've gotten a good, they've gotten a, you know, a lot, been wounded a lot. And they know they could press forward, but they also know that if they keep going, they're probably just going to find it, run into more demons in, in greater numbers, most likely. So they decide to head back to the Crooked Inn to get some rest. As we're going back, Ty, you know, being the amoral 14-year-old sorcerer that he is, starts conspiring with Merrick and Gash about breaking into and robbing a bank uh, from from the sewer tunnels, you know, to sneak in. Cal, the good, good-hearted giant, uh, calls him out saying, this is not what heroes do. Ty, of course, immediately apologizes, you know, smooths things over. And then he waits until Cal gets uh, far enough away from him, ahead of him, to continue the conversation. They, they start going into more and more bizarre scams. They even discuss for a bit, you know, about skinning Gesh's scales and selling them. Gesh is kind of desperate, you know, to, to assist his clan. You know, the, the, the tariff bill that's been pushed through the council and Caprook, you know, is going to really affect his clan. And, you know, their economic future is not looking too bright if he doesn't help them out of it. <clears throat> So as this is going on, they you know they eventually make it back to the crooked uh, to the crooked lantern tavern, and they walk in, and well, they find Gruffer singing a song. Well, a ballad, more like it. And you know that that's nothing surprising. I mean, Gruffer he sings a lot. That's one of the reasons they hired him. He's a bard. But it, it's more the topic that and the specific lyrics that get to them. Specifically, Moonstar, Cal, and Cecil, they, their jaws all kind of drop a bit here, because the song that Greffer is singing is a song about how the great and noble Ty the Sorcerer, the teenage 14-year-old sorcerer, led a shabby group of losers against demonic beasts. The ballad has 17 parts, 16 of which are devoted to the greatness of Ty. <laughs> so while you know Moonstar, Cal, and Cecil are all just kind of slack-jawed there, just can't believe what they're hearing, Ty uses magic hand to pass out some money with notes, telling people to throw it at Gruffer when he's done singing. And the song takes hours to, to get through, and it ends with you know a roar of cheers and money being thrown at him. And at this point, Moonstar, Cal, and Cecil, they pull Gruffer aside and I started asking about the lyrics because Cecil had been pretty sure he'd set Greffer straight after a very confusing conversation with Cal, the, you know, the previous night. And Greffer says, you know, he may have gone a little overboard with emphasizing Ty's contributions, but that, you know, it's about telling a good story than, you know, telling the full truth. You know, because sometimes, you know, the truth doesn't fit into a nice, convenient story for a song. Anyway, Moonstar and Cecil decide that they're going to need to review his lyrics before he can perform anything else. They need uh, executive uh, approval on that. Gruffrey's less than happy, but uh, but as it happens, Ty uses a charm spell on a wealthy patron who promptly donates a sack of gold to Gruffer for his wondrous song. <laughs> Moonstar accepts some money. He, you know, they find that in the sack of in the sack is 266 pieces of gold. And he gives 50 of them as a bonus to Gruffer. And the rest is going to be stashed away to pay for his 
for his regular uh, retainer. Gruffer's less than pleased about this, but he's you know he's been making pretty good money in Caprook, so he doesn't push the issue too too hard. So the party take you know decides to rest. Um, nothing happens overnight, thankfully. And in the morning, uh, Moonstar, Merrick, and Cal they head out. They've decided they're going to pull a pretty woman on Cal to help him find an axe that can do more damage than his homemade warhammer. Uh, Cecil and Ty decide to head to the city council open forum uh, to try and identify the demon on the council that Poe suspects is there. And Gesh, well, Gesh oversleeps. And they got bored of waiting for him to get up. So they left him there. Moonsera's group, uh, they, they head into town and... They decide to swing by the shop where Moonstar is having a custom staff with the woodlands made for him. Uh, the maker there says, yeah, things are coming along nicely. You know, Moonstar already put down a deposit for it. And he decides, hey, you know, maybe we can do some more trade, not exactly cash. And he ends up negotiating a, his wand of magic missiles and his immovable rod and an additional 1,500 gold pieces uh, towards his staff of the woodlands. And that leaves him at a deficit of about 300 gold pieces, which it shouldn't be too big of a problem for him to come up with. Cal asks the uh, uh, the maker if he has any weapons, but the guy says he you know he doesn't really trade much in weapons. He prefers more you know erudite items. At which point Cal proudly shows off his homemade warhammer, and you know and again the the maker says you know he he caters to you know, a more highbrow crowd. And Cal says, well, this is my highbrow erudite hammer. At which point, <laughs> the maker bluntly recommends searching anywhere but there for for axes or any, any more of the blunt sort of weaponry. Uh, this confuses Cal, since Cal is easily confused by most things. Uh, because, you know, he, if he could find uh, an axe anywhere, then why wasn't it at the tavern? Merrick asks, asks a quick question about short swords, but again, you know, the shopkeeper doesn't have anything for him. Um, you know, and he, he does recommend a few other merchants in the city. And after talking some more, Merrick decides he's going to be looking more for, you know, silver weapons. Something to make it more effective against fiends and demons. Uh, the group wanders wanders around a bit more. They finally find a merchant that sells some silver weapons. Cal once again tries to show off his homemade warhammer, and the uh, <laughs> well, the merchant just straight up insults him. Says it's a pretty crappy hammer. Cal just wants to says he just wants to find a new and another another merchant. But you know, Merrick keeps talking to him. Says he's looking for silver gear. You know, so the guy has plenty in stock. Uh, so Merrick picks up a couple of silver short swords. Uh, half a dozen silver daggers, and some studded leather, you know, to make it make him a little bit harder to kill. Uh, Cal asks for, you know, to see what the guy, what the merchant has to offer in terms of ac great axes. He brings out three. One's just kind of a basic one. One's very intricate, and the third has a much more menacing design. And naturally, the merchant recommend, recommends that third one, saying it likes killing things. Uh, Cal asks, you know, does it have magic in it? But doesn't. It's silver, though, which will make it more effective fighting demons. Magic. Cal is really hung up on this whole magic thing, though, because he's a hero, like everyone else now. And the merchant says you can go anywhere else you want, but magic, magical great axe is going to run you quite a bit, and which is code for 
you're too dirt poor to afford that. After, after, you know, talking in circles for a bit there, Cal finally settles on buying uh, the latter two great axes, along with a harness and chain, you know, to, to th attach onto one of them. Uh, after he's bought them, Cal then, <laughs> he then asks if uh, the merchant if he has any armor that can protect his nipples, specifically. That was pretty much his only requirement. And that that pretty much goes nowhere, because, you know, in fantasy worlds, who cares about nipple protection? Now, meanwhile, uh, you know, in the political center of the city, Cecil and Ty, they get into the open forum. You know, it's pretty well attended, not jam-packed. You know, you got re representatives from all the all nine guilds there. And fortunately, you know, Cecil's a pretty big guy with heavy armor, and he's able to shove his way through the, the crowd to get there. And as he, once he makes it to the front there, Cecil, he uses his divine sense ability to try to locate a, you know, a, a demon there. He doesn't, he doesn't spot any demons or fiends, but he does recognize that the coin guild, the, the banker uh, representative, a, a blue dragonborn, is a celestial. And, he, you know, he's able to ask somebody, you know, who the, who the blue dragonborn is. His name is Varen Camry. And Ty gets a little impatient. He tries to shove his way ahead of the, in, shoves his way through the crowd ahead of Cecil, but doesn't make any progress because, well, he's a 14-year-old boy trying to compete against full-grown adults. So once that doesn't work out, he grabs Cecil, points him to the front there, and Cecil follows the direction, just shoves his way there. <laughs> and uh, they they get within uh, you know a few dozen feet of the the top guild representatives. And Ty decides it would be a bright idea to cast Suggestion on the the Blue Dragonborn, Varen Camry. Naturally, you know, the spell fails, and Camry turns and looks directly at Ty, staring him down. Ty waves, and then tries casting Suggestion on him again. Camry smirks, and Ty kind of waves and you know, gives him a signal to meet him outside when, he gets, when he's uh, free. Uh, the, Camry gives a slight nod and turns back to his business. At, and then, you know, Ty and Cecil, they head out of, the, head out of the, the council hall, and they just wait outside for an hour or so until Varen Camry comes out to meet them. Uh, the, you know, the Blue Dragonborn said it's a little rude to cast a spell on somebody in a crowded hall like that. Cecil, not knowing any of this, because he's definitely on the obtuse side, is shocked by this. And <laughs> Camry assumes that the presence of a paladin means that their intentions are noble, Cecil looks looks over at Ty and says that they better be. And Ty explains that you know they you know demons have infested the city and they've been fighting them. And Camry says he's well aware of the de demonic problems that they've been having. And he takes them back to to his residence where they can have their conversation in some place with a little bit more privacy. Uh, once they're back, once they're back at his place, they you know kind of exchange information. Uh, you know, they explain how they've been fighting demons and hell portals, you know, in multiple cities up to this point, you know, in Renault Keep, Port Azulith, Copperton, and that they'd gotten direction from Heronius himself to come here to Catbrook. Camry says that he assumed, you know, his current identity to locate this demonic infestation rooted out. He believes that there's multiple de uh, demon princes working here, and... You know, if if that's if they're working together, that's that kind of collaboration is, pr is pretty bad news. 
they talk about the you know the suspicion that the masonry guild is is producing the altars, but unknowingly, they don't really know who who was directing this work though. And Camry is in particular is curious about where they're sourcing the stone from. Uh, he suspects it might be coming from a single location, since that would greatly simplify, you know, the production and, and work on on the stone on the stonework. And he's, you know, they suggest, you know, maybe he could give them some he give the party some reinforcements so they could go back underground, try to root out the the demons underneath there. Camry's pretty hesitant. He doesn't want to attack the demons, you know, in their stronghold, you know, on their their turf. He'd rather nip at their heels, draw them out, you know, where they're vulnerable, isolated. And he's he's convinced that as far as the demonic infiltration of the guilds are concerned, he's convinced that the, the princes are within the three of three council. Uh, you know, Cecil says he didn't detect anything though, and Camry says, well, that's the very problem that he's been dealing with. The princes, the princes have shrouded themselves magically to camouflage camouflage themselves among the guild leaders. And that that gives them even greater camouflage in trying to, to pick them out from the regular humans because all of the guild leaders are shrouded magically you know, from things like mind control, charms, that kind of stuff. And he, he had suspected that the head of the textile guild, uh, Brianna Treyard, was one. But after a very thorough investigation, no longer believes so. Uh, same thing for the notaries guild. And... <clears throat> He says he's been looking particularly into the guild heads that voted for the tariff spill that you know would hurt them. So, the textile guild, masonry guild, blacksmith, uh, the furriers, and you know, they, you know, Ty and Cecil, of course, are talking about how you know they're willing to help in any way that they can, and they want to know if there's anything Camry can assist them with, you know, magical items, that kind of stuff. And he says he does have some stuff, but you know, he wants a proof of competency first. And so he directs them to a quarry to the south where he suspects, you know, is involved in the supply chain of uh, the stonework that's being made for these altars. And what he needs from the party is he doesn't need them to destroy the quarry or anything like that, because there's a lot of legitimate work that happens there, but just anything that they can find that would point towards something unusual. Uh, goods exchanged for free, unbalanced ledgers, that kind of stuff. And, you know, Ty asks, you know, if there's any information he can provide them about what sort of creatures they might be facing. And Camry says he'll have that information sent to the Crooked Lantern later. Cecil asks Camry about, you know, demonic contracts uh, and the Crimson Wanderer. The name doesn't ring a bell for Camry, but, you know, it, judging from his MO, he suspects it's a, a lesser minor demon but that he'll investigate it and he'll see what he can do about breaking Poe's contract with him as well. And, you know, they ask, uh, Cecil and Ty, they ask Camry how they can stay in touch with him, and he gives them a bluestone that will allow them to contact him and him them when needed. Uh, they thank him, they leave. Uh, Cecil does a little shopping of his own. He gets uh, silver versions of his greatsword and longsword, and he also picks up a few spell scrolls for lesser restoration while, while he's out there. Meanwhile, Ty, the, the amoral teenager, wanders off trying to find a bank that's not connected to the to the coin guild because he rightly th believes that, you know, robbing the bank of the uh, Celestial that's helping them out would not be a bright idea. He doesn't have any luck, so he decides to try to target one of the casinos in town, finding one of the poshest ones around, 
but he gets turned away for being underage. He walks around, so he decides to walk around the corner, make himself invisible, and then walks past the guard into the place. Uh, he hasn't gone about ten feet past the entrance when uh, he he can sense that an alarm goes off, has gone off because multiple guards are now zeroing in straight on him. And realizing he's not going to be able just to walk in and steal money, he uses Dimension Door to get out of Dodge. He he wanders around some more, meets back up with Cecil, does not tell him that he tried robbing a, a casino, and they get back to the Crooked Lantern. Now, Gash by this point, of course, has been hanging out at the Crooked Lantern all day, uh, you know, finally waking up, I don't know, probably like 2 p.m., and he's basically just been drinking and, you know, periodically hitting on Aaron, the taxidermist. And he proves himself to be particularly ignorant when it comes to taxidermy. Aaron, of course, has no problem pointing that out to him. And just, well, she just keeps insulting him on and off the entire day. So everybody reconvenes back at the Crooked Lantern there, catch each other up and what's been going on. And they agree that, yeah, you know, they should go to the south to the quarry. And they can send Merrick and Ty in to investigate the place and try to find some evidence of wrongdoing. Uh, they rest overnight, you know, wake up refreshed, ready for the ready for adventuring, and rent a wagon, you know, to make the trip a little bit easier on themselves. They get to the quarry down to the south around three o'clock in the afternoon, and they stop outside the quarry to kind of sort th- sort out their plan because, you know, they're trying to be a little smarter with what they're doing now. Uh, so Moonstar shapeshifts himself into a dog uh, to walk up with Cecil and Cal, uh, while Cecil will pose as somebody who is looking to buy stonework for building a castle. Ty and Merrick, meanwhile, will follow after them after casting visibility on themselves to sneak around and try to find a good place to go. And they leave Gesh to get well. They leave they leave Gesh with a with a wagon to hang out with Greffer. And Cecil decides to cast Divine Sense to help him identify any demons in the area, but that doesn't go anywhere. Now, as uh, Cecil approaches the quarry, you know, uh, a few large gentlemen and women approach him. The woman, obviously, from her body language and the way that the, the men react to her, you know, she's definitely in charge. And they start talking about, you know, how much granite would they need for building to build out a castle. And... You know, Cecil tries to smooth talk his way into getting a tour, but the woman obviously, you know, has better things to do and is not very interested in that. Cecil, you know, says he just wants to make sure things are sourced responsibly, and that, you know, gets a little offended when he applies that other places use slave workers to get their stonework. And at which point, Cal steps in and diffuses things in his very awkward way. While that's happening, Ty and Merrick sneak in. Uh, they find one that looks kind of like an office. They're able to pick the lock, get in. Uh, they see a safe in the back corner, but they decide to dig through the desk first. At first, they don't find anything, you know, out of the norm, but they do find, well, Merrick specifically finds a false bottom in one of the drawers and discovers a wax seal. Neither him nor Ty know what it is, but they decide to steal it anyway, since, you know, it's in a false bottom of a drawer. Merrick starts working on the safe, but, you know... <laughs> is not having much luck with picking it. It's a pretty strong safe. Uh, meanwhile, you know, Cal's finally talked, you know, the the, the quarry woman into giving them a tour. Uh, you know, Cecil asks about buildings in Caprock that have used the, this particular quarry's granite, and she gives a few suggestions. Uh, 
the Fuller's Guild House is made almost entirely out of it. A handful of inns, uh, some other cities and around in the area. In particular, a mage tower about 15 miles north uh, before the kingdom of Hillsborough that's made out of granite. And, you know, Cal asks about the different ores that are made there. Uh, you know, the woman goes into a lot of detail explaining things. And Cal's very, very excited about this. Uh, at which point he accidentally calls Cecil a puppy. Yeah, Moonstar just decides to lay down and, you know, while they go off on their, on their quarry tour. And in the meantime, back with Merrick and Ty, well, Merrick keeps on botching his attempts to break into the safe. <laughs> uh, the tour goes well for Cal and Cecil, you know, showing different things. Uh, as it turns out, the woman isn't the one that's actually in charge of the place. Uh, the, the guy that runs it, his name is Estonius. But he's, you know, won't be back until later that evening. Cal very excitedly asks what would happen if a dragon showed up and breathed fire on the ore. You know, wondering, would it explode in this big, dramatic explosion? And the woman says, well, it would, but it'd be more kind of like a slow-boil explosion than this firework display. Uh, the tour ends. They guide them back. It's a little bit later now. American Ty, they don't have any luck with that safe, so they decide to leave it rather than trying to teleport it out and, you know, make a run for the, for the tree line. Everybody regroups back at the wagon where... Gesh has been listening to Griffer's amazing singing voice the whole afternoon and fill each other on what's been going on. Uh, Cecil takes a look at the wax seal and immediately recognizes it as belonging to the demonic prince Bastet. And, you know, they can tell this is exactly the sort of proof that Cameron is looking for. You know, they debate about what to do. You know, they they, they debate about waiting for Astenius to come back and maybe interrogate him or, you know, get back into the safe. But they decide, you know, they've they they've done enough here. You know, they should just head back to Caprook and show that to Camry and go from there. And so that's what they do. They hitch up the wagon again, head back, uh, manage to not kill anybody this time. And once they get back in, uh, get back to the Crooked Lantern, Gesh, you know, dashes out a letter to his clan to see what he can do to assist them. You know, because his tariff bill is really kind of weighing on his mind. And that's it. That's everything we did last time. So hopefully we will see each other sooner rather than later. And we can see what happens next. So see you then.